The warm air, the sounds of baseball, it's got you thinking about hitting the road. And no matter where your adventures take you, Subaru of Gwinnett has a vehicle to get you there safely and in style. Like the 2024 Subaru Outback, sporting standard symmetrical all-wheel drive and up to 32 miles per gallon. Or the 2024 Subaru Forester, the SUV with a spacious and comfortable interior for everyone you want to bring along. Start your shopping online at SubaruofGwinnett.com, then come see us for a test drive on Satellite Boulevard in Duluth. I know a lot of people have thought about taking that trip of their dreams and combining it with a great sporting event. Well, now there's a company that can help you make those dreams a reality. I'm talking about Atlanta Sports Trips, which is up and running, and it's my personal passion project. My goal was to come up with a plan where we could put together four- and five-star luxury travel with all the games you would like to see in person with meet-and-greets, player interaction, tailgates, food, great drinks, You name it, you want the whole process done for you, that's where Atlanta Sports Trips will come into play. You can check out the website at atlsportstrips.com. On the website, you will see three trips up and available for you right now. A Bravos playoff trip in October. Wherever the world champs go, that's where we're going to follow with hotel, game tickets, a meet and greet. Everything taken care of for you, and all you need to do is place a $99 fully refundable deposit. If the games and the trip don't happen you will get that deposit refunded to you. We've also got a Georgia-Kentucky trip available for late November that's going to include game tickets, a distillery tour, a meet-and-greet, tailgates. Again, a $99 deposit, fully refundable before September 30th, is waiting for you at Atlanta Sports Trips. You can go to the website atlsportstrips.com to make that deposit today. All right, everybody, welcome to this week's edition of Welcome to Matlana. I would be Matt or Matlana. I didn't give myself the nickname. I earned the nickname. Let's not waste any time. Let's get to this week's edition of Welcome to Matlana. All right, for me growing up in Atlanta, hey, listen, it never got better than number 21. Dominique Wilkins, the superstar of the 80s into the 90s, who sadly didn't get to finish his career here. We got to hear his story and tell his tales. Let's hear Dominique Wilkins right now. All right, so uh, here's a good place to start, Neek. Um, when did you realize, what age did you start to kind of get the idea that you were better than the other nine players on the court? Is that 12? Is that 14? When does that become clear to you? Actually, it was about 12 years old. And what was it about being told? I mean, did you just, you could get to the bucket? Well, you know what it was, to be honest with you. I mean, the older guys in my neighborhood where I grew up in Baltimore, Maryland, I mean, they saw something in, in me, and I remember one of the guys said, I'm going to teach you the game, I'm going to teach you the right way, and you're going to owe me. And at 12, I didn't know what that meant. He said, the only thing I want from you is give to someone else what I'm about to give to you. And really, one of the playground legends taught me the game of basketball. But they used to make me, at 12 years, I used to play against older kids that was uh, was uh, 13, 14 years old. And he, they used to make me play one-on-one against these kids. And I never lost and so they would bet on me on the side, you know, and they would bet 12 bucks and, you know, they would give me like three. And I'd like, wait, I'm doing all the work. I'm only getting three bucks, <laughs> you know. But, you know, I had to pay my dues as a young man, you know, growing up in a neighborhood like that. But that's how, that's when I knew. So when did um, other people start to notice? In other words, high school coaches, college scouts, when did you start to realize they're paying attention? Well, and I thought, for me, again, it started in that, in that, rough neighborhood in Baltimore where uh, those older guys uh, would back then they would protect the younger guys if they saw something in you. And so they said to me, you're going to be the first one to get out of this neighborhood and make it 
big one day. And so they saw that in me early. And so they gave me the courage to leave home when I was 16 years old. I've been on my own since I was 16. And I caught a Greyhound bus to North Carolina. And when I caught that bus to North Carolina, I remember getting off the bus and I saw these kids playing basketball and I started playing with them. And after I finished, I was sitting down and an older gentleman said, hey, um, do you live here? I'm like, I'm not sure yet. He said, well, where are you going when you leave here? I'm like, I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure. So he took me to his home. He showed me a bedroom. He showed me the kitchen. He said, you can have all this. Only uh, trade-off, you got to play for my team. And that's how it started. Can you imagine today, right, if somebody, if your son or somebody else's son said the same thing, you would say, wait a minute. Like, how different a time was it that, that at that point in your life felt like this is the right way to go? It, 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 you know, I felt like when I was 16, and I saw some really tough things in my old neighborhood in Baltimore that really helped me make a decision to leave. And I told my mom, I said, I'm, I'm leaving. And she said, where are you going? I said, I'm going to go to North Carolina. And hopefully I try to make a career in basketball. And it, it, that neighborhood gave me the courage to leave. You know, and those guys that taught me the game gave me the courage to leave. So even though I was I was scared. I was afraid, you know, and, you know, with the world out there. And when I got to North Carolina, and I had relatives, of course, that lived there. But that high school coach taught me how to be a young man first, a player second. And that team went 76-1 and one in three years, back-to-back state titles. Huh. How was the – how crazy, I should say, was the recruiting process of Dominique Wilkins back Ooh. in the day? Woo. Hey, <laughs> it was uh, – it was crazy than you can imagine. <laughs> a lot of details I can't go into, but it was, it was, man, I never experienced anything like that. You know, I got recruited by over 250 schools, you know, um, you know, and so I had to just narrow it down to like my top five or six schools. And actually most of those schools was ACC schools, you know, and it was one school outside of that, uh, the ACC, and that was that was Georgia. And Georgia kind of came up at the last minute. Actually, I visited Georgia Tech when I came before I came out of high school, and uh, just wasn't interested. And you know, I have signed a letter of intent with North Carolina State, and so again, at the last minute, I decided, you know what, I want to go build my own into a school that didn't have a superstar and build my own name, and that's how it happened. What was the pushback? Because I've seen some of this, and I remember seeing there was an oh, SEC man. story you did. How big a pushback was it when you left man, the state? I've, I've never experienced any that type of uh, disrespect and, and, you know, hate, you know, just because I made a decision to go to school to further my career in education. And it didn't go over well in North Carolina because in those, those days, if you, was, if you was a great player in the state of North Carolina, you do not leave the ACC. It's almost like it's uh, against the law to leave the ACC, and and you just didn't do it. How shocked were people around the basketball community that it was Georgia? Because while Hugh Durham started to build a legacy, you were a part of that, and then when you left Vern Fleming and others, but that might have been a bigger surprise than just leaving the ACC. Uh, You know, man, people did not agree with it. They did not, you know, know, support it. I mean, because they said, how can you leave an ACC school – and go to a, a school that never, ever, ever had won any type of tournament, never, and hadn't been to the NCAA since 1934. And I didn't care about anything. And I wanted to build something, and we did. We built something really, really, really special at Georgia. And if you look at how many times they've been to the tournament since I left, 
that tells you what we've created. And we went, we played, we went to tournament NITs uh, the first couple of years while I was there. So that was a start of us building that program. How much fun was it being Dominique Wilkins as a college freshman, sophomore, and junior? That was the best time of my life. It, it really was. And uh, it, it, you know, for, for me, the Georgia faithfuls and the way they treated me, the way they accepted me, I mean, I could never forget that the rest of my life. I mean, they, they, they always, always will have a special place in my heart, and I'm always going to be a bulldog, you know. It's just, and th- those people were special. I mean, they really, really were, and I owe them a lot. What was your relationship with Hugh Durham like? He's like a father to me to this day. I mean, it's, even to this day, he he, he advises me on things because he thinks he's he thinks he's my dad. So he's always <laughs> he's always looking to get on my case about something. But I mean, I love the man. I mean, he 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 was the the father that I missed, you know, when I went to college. So you know, he was great. Were there points where he got so either excited or angry when that voice started to go where you just couldn't understand him? Oh well, when he when his voice. Was at that high pitch, you couldn't understand a word he said, <laughs> you know, but you knew what he meant. <laughs> the inflection was enough. You know, oh, yeah, yeah. And he was, man, what a, what, one of the most underrated coaches I've ever played for. Nate, talk to me about the decision at the time after your junior year to enter the NBA draft. What was the conversation like with family and, and who advised you? Well, actually, who advised me? It was Hugh Durham. You know, Hugh Durham said, Look, son, I would love you to come back for your senior year. But I don't want to be the one to hold you back. You know, it, 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 nothing else you can do here. You need you need to go to the end of the draft. You need to put in the, the draft. And I, I wanted to play my senior year. He said, you know, it's time for you to go. And so he helped me with that decision, made it a little bit easier. For me. If I had a chance to do it over again, I'd do the same thing. So the draft process itself, and, and I want you to clear up any misconceptions here, but Utah ends up drafting you. Did you mm-hmm. not want to go there? Was there another story? What led to the trade to the Hawks? I did not want to go to the Utah Jazz <laughs> at that time. Uh, no. And uh, they were saying, okay, when you come to Utah, you can play small forward. I mean, power forward. And Adrian Danley play small forward. I'm like, you, you're crazy. I'm not playing power forward in those days. You know, maybe I was six, eight and a half. I wasn't going to play power forward against those brutes, you know. So that was one reason I didn't want to go. Another reason, I just didn't want to go to Utah. I just didn't want to be in Utah. So when the trade comes up and it's the Hawks and they offer two players and a million dollars in cash and you get to come not too far away from where you play college ball, did that feel like a dream scenario? I felt like I died and went to heaven, you know, because I wanted to be in Atlanta because my family had moved here. And so they kind of started to, to, you know, put some roots into the city. And so uh, I wanted to be a hawk, and and it, amazingly, you know, it happened. You know, they made a deal to trade Freeman Williams, John Drew, and a million dollars to get me here in Atlanta. Man, that was a blessing. So we took the plunge. Yes, at the Chernoff House, the big renovations are going on. So it comes down to making the right choices when you want to do some of these renovation projects. And for us. When it came down to flooring and carpet, we wanted to work with a great local company that we know could get the job done. That's why we turned to Peachwood Floor Coverings. I got a chance to meet Ryan Cornell and the great folks from Peachwood. When I say meet them, we got in touch with Ryan. 48 hours later, they came out to our home to start setting up measurements and looking at potential options for flooring and carpeting choices. It was beautiful. I love the process. It was just that easy. 
And right now, the process can be that easy for you. If you go to peachwoodfloorcoverings.com, you can schedule a consultation. They'll come out to your home. And all this month, if you mention Matt, that's the promo code Matt, they're going to save you 10% on that flooring or carpet installation that you've always wanted. You want it easy, you want the process done quickly, and you want it to look beautiful. We're getting all that done with Peachwood Floor Coverings. Again, go online to peachwoodfloorcoverings.com, or you can call them at 678-935-6901. Peachwood Floor Coverings. Big company quality, small company services. Home field advantage exists in baseball. Insurance, too. Your local trusted choice independent insurance agents are active members of your community. They'll always have your back. Find a local auto, home, or business insurance agent at trustedchoice.com. Folks, you just heard from Smoltzy and you heard it from me as well. Clayton Rhodes and the Rhodes Group are my trusted choice for insurance agents. They've been my agent for a long time and they serve all of Metro Atlanta. To get up to 10 auto insurance quotes in less than 10 minutes, visit Rhodes-Group.com slash churnoff today. That's Rhodes-Group.com slash churnoff. It's a new year, which means it's time to try something new. And I'm talking to you folks who have not yet tried the Daily Draft in downtown Woodstock. I hope you'll go see my friend Sean Daly. That's, get it, the Daily Draft. This is the ultimate sports bar experience. So as the football playoffs near, and then baseball's around the corner, knock on wood, and all the fun springtime things that will happen in Atlanta, you're going to want to enjoy it at the Daily Draft. It's downtown Woodstock on Main Street. What you're going to find, a craft beer bar, self-serve taps, big screens all around you to catch every view of the big game. And when I say a big screen, they have a movie-sized screen with a front-row seat right in front of it that you can grab if you get there at the right time to enjoy all your favorite games. A chef-inspired menu with soup, salads, sandwiches, flatbreads, uh, you name it, they have everything to find everybody exactly what they want when you're going with the family, a boys' night, or a date night. TheDailyDraft.net is where you can find all the information about some of the nights like Trivia Night, Kids Eat Free Night, and more. TheDailyDraft.net. Go find them downtown Woodstock on Main Street. Tell them Matt sent you. You'll love The Daily Draft. Tell me about your first uh, your first time in Atlanta, meeting Ted Turner, meeting the Hawks. What was your first reaction? Well, Ted was great. You know, Ted was great. Ted was like one of the guys more so than the owner. He he was a, a really charismatic guy, and he he really wanted me in Atlanta. So, you know, Fred, I mean, I'm sorry, uh, Ted and I over time became very, very good friends. Even to this day, I'm, I'm, I'm very close friends with Ted Turner. What was the city like when you got here in 1982 compared to now? It was, you know, and they didn't know what to expect, you know, from a young rookie coming in from you. Even though they've seen me play a lot, you know, at the University of Georgia, they didn't know really what to expect from our team. They knew a talent was coming, but I think that first year we began to show them what we was about, you know, and then we added some more pieces. You got Kevin Willis, you got Doc Rivers and Skylex, but so you got some nice pieces and, you know, Randy Whitman and people like that. So we built a, a culture here. I mean, a, a hard-nosed nine-to-five type of team that came to work. And, man, that was the first time, you know, we, we set Atlanta on fire. Well, I think that's a great point to bring up, right? Because we live in this era now where Braves have been good for a long time. Falcons have had blips where they've been good. When you guys start to take over Atlanta, Braves are kind of going into a lull. The Falcons hadn't been very good. I mean, it was mm-hmm. about this young Atlanta Air Force at, at Hawk team. How, how was mm-hmm. it for you around the city on a day-by-day basis? Man, I mean, it was – it's kind of indescribable because the people here, 
basically accepted me as a native son here. And everywhere I would go, I mean, people, I mean, they just loved you, you know. And because I was one of those guys that never traveled with entourages and security and all that crap, you know, people was more connected to you. They felt like they can touch you. They can talk to you. You know, and that was what I was all about. I've always been kind of a people's person. I wanted people to know that they could be connected to me. I used to stop in playgrounds on the way to games and see kids playing. I used to tell Tree Rollins, let's, let's stop over here and play with these kids and, you know, give them a thrill and, you know, make their day. You know, let's just do something cool for the kids. I mean, I used to do stuff like that all the time. But it's the connection that I had with the city that made it so special. Nick, you mentioned the core that came in. So Fratello comes in. Doc enters the fray and Willis and Levingston, Carr, and you mentioned Tree. I mean, you guys all of a sudden had a nucleus where you were on the doorstep of winning the Central Division and winning 50 games a year. When did you realize how special that was? I, I knew. I Actually, I knew after my first two years, after the first two years, that we could be a really special team. And, you know, you had them hard-nosed guys like Tree Rollins and Dan Roundfield who really kind of took me under their wing and really taught me the NBA game. And then you had young guys coming in like Doc, and you had Kevin, you like you said, Antoine, Carl, Cliff. And we had some hard-nosed dudes, man, that, that came to work, you know. And, I mean, that's, and that's all you can ask for. I mean, if, if I had to go to battle with someone, it would be those guys. Well, and, and at it that time, be those guys. well, I just want to ask you, so, you know, we, we well, wax poetic about the 80s for good reason, but there were big-time teams everywhere in the East that you guys could run and jump and you guys could go up and down, but you had that crew that you said were hard-nosed because you had the Pistons and the Celtics and the Sixers. I mean, it was just the Bucks. It was one after another every night. Oh, yeah. I mean, we had one of the best de- defenses in the league. I mean, we were the defensive team. You came into – to the Omni, which we used to call the birdcage back then, but you had to be ready. If you didn't be ready, we ran you out of the gym. I mean, I mean, that's just what then you knew. Unfortunately, during that time, the East was loaded <laughs> with talent. You know, you had Philly, you had Chicago, you had New York, you had Milwaukee, Cleveland, you know, uh, and it, it just had New York. You had so many teams that were, were good teams, the championship-type teams today. I mean, it was, it was brutal with talent back then. But let's talk about the the one that, and I know growing up here, when the Celtics came in, it felt like there's royalty of Bird and McHale and Parrish and DJ and Ainge and what you guys built. And first it was the Pistons, but really with you and the Celtics with some of the both regular season and postseason series, what was that battle like for you as you went along through your career? Man, some of the greatest battles I've ever had as a professional, no question about it, man. Larry Bird brought out the best of me, you know. I mean, because, you know, here you had arguably five Hall of Famers. You did have five Hall of Famers on that team at one time going against one in Atlanta, you know. And so if I didn't score 30-plus a night against those guys, it was hard for us to win. And so we accepted the challenge. But, you know, one thing I will say about those guys I played with, man, you talk about guys who played hard for you, had your back. We never had issues. You never had heard of an issue that any of us had as players, particularly in the media. We never, because we always believe if there's a problem to be resolved, we resolve it in our locker room. No one's need to need to resolve our problems. So we kind of policed ourselves and we built such a great bond that couldn't be broken. So Nika, and I think you might've told me this story before, but I want to do it for the listeners because I, I just love it so much. Was there a point where, Maybe it was Willis, and you'll correct me if I'm wrong, where 
he started talking trash with Larry Bird, and it set Larry <laughs> off to the point where he went nuts one night. Yeah, yeah, I, I was mad at Kevin after that game because <laughs> we coming down the court. The game was close. It was a one-two point game, and and Kevin is on the right of me, and Bird, I'm running uh, to the right of him. So Kevin reaches across my chest and put his finger in Bird. They don't let this so and so score anymore tonight. And I look at Kevin. I'm like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> like, I mean, Bird's eyes got so big. I knew it was on then. I knew it was going to be a shootout. And that fourth quarter, that I was sitting on the bench when he got started, and he got hot. And the coach said, Nick, go back in. you got to slow him down. I said, slow him down. He's hot now. <laughs> Only thing I can do is go out there and match him bucket for bucket. And that set up on a, probably the greatest shootout in the seventh game in history. Yeah, I want to talk to you about that in a, in, a, in a minute. But that series itself, that felt like kind of a turning point opportunity for the franchise, for Hawk fans who don't remember the Hawks. And, again, the Celtics were as good as it gets. You guys are in the second round. You won in the Boston Garden in game five, which nobody mm-hmm. ever won in the playoffs. So let's start there before we go to game six. What are your memories of that game five winning there? I remember it was hot. It was really hot. And, you know, of course the odds was against us to beat them in game five. But the one thing we said coming out of the locker room, we said, okay, we got to come out. We got to hit first. You know, and we got to make every possession important. We can't have mistakes. We can't turn the ball over. Is if we can do that, we're going to beat them tonight. And that's exactly the way we played in that game. So then you go home. Tell me about the, the day between game five and game six. I mean, the city must well, have been on fire because yeah. this was a coronation opportunity to finally dethrone them. Yeah, I mean, the city was on. I mean, it really it was on fire. I mean, we had people at the airport waiting on us to come back in from that trip. That's how excited they were. And I remember in that game, again, the game we should have won, we gave that game away. We, 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 we had our opportunities. And the play was designed for, you know, inbound the ball, and somehow the ball gets back to me. Up, I can't remember exactly what it was. And I remember Cliff, I, mean, I think he had a brain lapse for a second, and he just took off and went to the basket and threw a left-hand running hook. And I'm like, no, no, no. And uh, we ended up losing that game. And, and Bird made the bold prediction. He said Atlanta had the opportunities. Well, the, the memory I have. Guaranteeing a win. I hated it watching Dennis Johnson's finger go up in the air as he dribbled the ball down court after that missed shot because you had to go back for yeah. the for the game seven there, which leads to what you just said. Still to this day, if you watch NBA classics or anywhere, that game with you in Boston in that fourth quarter. I mean, I imagine nerves are always a part of any any NBA player in the postseason. What were your nerves like going into that game? And and take me through your thinking, knowing you were going to have to pull off. A huge upset well, in Game 7. Well, you know, coming out of the locker room, I'm going to, I remember Burr made the prediction. And as I'm coming out of the locker room, I turned and said to my teammates, I said, we're going to win this bleep bleep game. I said, if you ain't ready to fight, if you ain't ready to go to war, don't come out here tonight. Because mm-hmm. whoever guarding me tonight going to have a long night. Unfortunately, Burr was telling his teammates the same thing down the other end. <laughs> <laughs> so, and so it just set up for a – a unbelievable game. And again, that, it was another game where it was so hot in that building that, I mean, you had to, you know, catch your breath at times, you know. But it was the best basketball atmosphere that you could ever imagine. And it set up for one of the greatest games ever in the seventh game. I mean, that game was, it was blow after blow from both teams. Nobody blinked, you know, and this came down to who was going to match each other's will between Larry and I. And I remember after the game, he said, we both deserve to win, but unfortunately one of us got to go home. 
Do you think that was? Do you think that was that turning point game, though? Have you, have you guys won that? Is that a championship team that all of a sudden the direction changes? I knew if we'd have won that game, we'd have won the championship. I seriously believe that to this day. If we would have won that series, we'd have won the NBA championship. Hmm. It's um, hard to get out of the East, man. Oh. <laughs> You don't want you know, between the Pistons and the Celtics, and then all of a sudden here come the Bulls with Jordan and Pippen later. But Nick, let me ask you about two things in that era. First of all, how important was the slam dunk contest to you? Because it felt so different to a lot of us watching then, because it was still new enough and still fun enough with you and Michael. And then a couple of years later with Spud coming in, how big of a deal was it to you? I mean, you know what? The, the dunk contest was special for us because it really wasn't about us, it was about the fans. We wanted to give the fans what they came to All-Star Weekend to see. The dunk contest trumped the, the All-Star game. I mean, that was the show. That three-point contest was bigger than life. And, and you know, people always say, well, you know, you know, Dominique was a great player, won the slam dunk contest, you know, twice. And I'm like, you know what? The slam dunk contest I did for thrills and for the fans. It wasn't who I was. I used it for two and for intimidation, but it's very difficult to get – 20, over 26,000 on dunks. So <laughs> it, that's a tool I use, you know, but, but at the same time, it was special for us because we know the fans were going to buy tickets to see the greatest athletes go head to head. So we took the plunge. Yes. At the Chernoff house, the big renovations are going on. So it comes down to making the right choices when you want to do some of these renovation projects. And for us, When it came down to flooring and carpet, we wanted to work with a great local company that we know could get the job done. That's why we turned to Peachwood Floor Coverings. I got a chance to meet Ryan Cornell and the great folks from Peachwood. When I say meet them, we got in touch with Ryan. 48 hours later, they came out to our home to start setting up measurements and looking at potential options for flooring and carpeting choices. It was beautiful. I love the process. It was just that easy. And right now, the process can be that easy for you. If you go to peachwoodfloorcoverings.com, you can schedule a consultation. They'll come out to your home. And all this month, if you mention Matt, that's the promo code Matt, they're going to save you 10% on that flooring or carpet installation that you've always wanted. You want it easy, you want the process done quickly, and you want it to look beautiful. We're getting all that done with Peachwood Floor Coverings. Again, go online to peachwoodfloorcoverings.com, or you can call them at 678 935 6901. Peachwood Floor Coverings, big company quality, small company services. Hey, are you tired of shopping your car and home insurance every single year? Well, somebody's got to do it. But that somebody doesn't have to be you. At the Rose Group, we can get you up to 10 insurance quotes in less than 10 minutes. Visit us online today at roads-group.com. It's a new year, which means it's time to try something new. And I'm talking to you folks who have not yet tried the Daily Draft in downtown Woodstock. I hope you'll go see my friend Sean Daly. That's, get it, the Daily Draft. This is the ultimate sports bar experience. So as the football playoffs near, and then baseball's around the corner, knock on wood, and all the fun springtime things that will happen in Atlanta, you're going to want to enjoy it at the Daily Draft. It's downtown Woodstock on Main Street. What you're going to find, a craft beer bar, self-serve taps, big screens all around you to catch every view of the big game. And when I say a big screen, they have a movie-sized screen with a front-row seat right in front of it that you can grab if you get there at the right time to enjoy all your favorite games. A chef-inspired menu with soup, salads, sandwiches, flatbreads, uh, you name it, they have everything to find everybody exactly what they want when you're going with the family, a boys' night, or a date night. 
TheDailyDraft.net is where you can find all the information about some of the nights like Trivia Night, Kids Eat Free Night, and more. TheDailyDraft.net. Go find them downtown Woodstock on Main Street. Tell them Matt sent you. You'll love The Daily Draft. And, of course, it culminated with you and Michael in Chicago to this day. You don't have to say it. I will. You got robbed. <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah. Slightly. Yeah. Got robbed. <laughs> but what was – take me through that, that atmosphere in Chicago. You and Michael, arguably the two best dunkers, not only of the generation, but outside maybe of Vince, maybe of all time. How crazy was that day? It, it was. You know, the fact that we're talking about it 30, what, some years yeah. later, 32 years later, it tells you it's the greatest dunk contest ever because, you know, we were the standard bears of – that contest, you know, I thought Dr. J, who I look at as granddaddy of, of us all, really set the stage for what we did, eventually did as, as players. But uh, that that contest, I knew I had to be near perfect to win. And I thought I was, actually, but, you know, judges thought otherwise. Did you and Michael joke about it later? Well, uh, yeah, we didn't really joke about it. I think I said uh, and he said, look, Nick, you know you won, I know you won, but you're in Chicago. I said, I'll tell you what, give me 100000 that you got for winning, or we can call it even. I love it. That's tremendous. Um, what about Atlanta's Air Force, the video? For those who don't know, you can go YouTube it and see it. But in the in the 80s of, you know, the Bears and, and the Super Bowl shuffle, everybody was doing these videos. How did that come about for you guys, and what were Man, your thoughts that was, on it? That was, so, that was so much fun. That was so much fun. And we, we really enjoyed that because it, it really – start to you know send around the league around the city what we were about and and how hard we played but in one of the biggest thing is how out as a team we played above the rim i mean we had 13 guys that you know were basically arguably said with guys who played above the rim and so we got that air force title from the way we played who was most uncomfortable? Because the video looked like a, either an argument of Doc or Concac either looked really uncomfortable. Well, if you watch Doc and Concac, they can't dance a lick. <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> so, you know, I don't know what Doc was doing. I don't know, he was caught between the Icky Shuffle and the Pee Wee Herman. I don't know what he was doing. But... <laughs> All I remember is his hands going up in some weird way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he had no rhythm. He had no rhythm. Um <laughs> So after you lose to the Celtics again, there were some changes, right? You guys would would eventually bring in Moses and Theus to add more right. offense, and that was supposed to be the pieces right. that put you guys right. over the top. Why do you think it didn't work? You know, you know. First of all, you had Asian guys, uh, and, and Moses, bless his heart, and it's gone now. And Reggie Theus, and it, I guess it didn't. It, it, it was it wasn't a good mix, so it didn't really work. You know. Just wrong personalities, wrong kind of it's, it's style. Just wrong mix. Yeah. yeah, it was just wrong mix at that time. Um, you went right now. We're in this uh, Kevin Durant Achilles thing, and everybody referenced you when when you tore yours. Um, and all I, I, it's a marvel now, Nate, to look back and think you returned as quickly as you did, and at, as a high level as you did. Take me through the injury itself. How down were you, and, and the rehab process to make it back? Well, you know, I was 32 when it happened, and all the critics, you know, you know, said when I. But the funny thing. When it happened, I wasn't even running. I mean, I wasn't really doing nothing. I was just kind of trotting, and it just popped. And I thought someone kicked me. And I remember all the pain rushing up my right side, and I just fell flat on my face. And, you know, again, you know, I, I went to the hospital, and I asked them to bring me back because I thought it was something I could still do. I was still in my uniform, you know. And to this day, I don't know why I did that. 
I remember that. Yeah, I remember when you, you know, came back that in uniform yeah. and that. So what, when they yeah. told you about the rehab process, did you have fears about your career? Did I have fears? Yeah, I had fears. But, you know, I heard all those critics. Oh, he's done. And if he comes back, he's not going to be the same. I heard has been. I heard that. I had all those articles on my mirror in my workout room. And I worked twice a day, every day for nine months. I said, not only am I going to come back, I'm going to be better than before. And they gave me this sarcastic pat on the back. And I said, you just watch and see. And when my first game back, I had 30 against New York. And I said, I'm back. I'm back. And uh, I averaged 30 that season. Yeah. I mean, and the rebounds went up. And the, everybody said you were an all, you became an all-around better player, which is nuts well, after it, that well, injury. Well, it made me understand that I could play the game on the ground as well as in the air. And I came more rounded as a player, um, not having to rely on my athleticism to – to make me productive. So uh, I, I learned different things. I came more fundamentally sound. Nick, uh, I wanted to ask you about the trade because it's still to this day, you know, it rocks uh, Hawks fans and, and Atlanta fans. And I've heard all kinds of stories leading up that you had conversations with Stan and with the Hawks that there wasn't going to be a trade and then it happened. Take me yeah. through that last couple of days. It happened. Well, you know, Lenny Wilkins uh, called me and said, look, we're getting ready for the playoffs. You got to get this young team ready for the playoffs. And, uh, you know, and so next morning, I would get a call at like 7.30 in the morning and said, can you come to a press conference that uh, we just traded you? And I'm like, what? And it, it just blew me away, man. I tell you, I've never been so hurt before in my life, you know, because I thought that I would – and I know it's a business, okay, but I thought that they'd give me the, at least the decency to say, okay, we're entertaining something, but they didn't do that. And um, – it was, it was, man, it was, it was heartbreaking for me. And, but Stan Caston said, Stan Caston always said that a great player would never retire. And he, and that held to be true. And it was times that they had a chance to bring me back. And for whatever reason, they never wanted to bring me back or they'd come up with some excuse. And so the fans was really hurt after that, you know, but I think one of the greatest games for me, and I've had games where I've scored more, but when I came back, that first game back, and I remember being so hyped that I only had four points at halftime. I was just overhyped. And I said to myself, I said, okay, Nick, calm down. This is at halftime. I said, calm down, calm down. I said, come out here and do what you came to do. And I ended up with 38 and 11 for that game. And we beat them. And that's one of the greatest feelings for me. Just let them know what you gave up. And I remember the fans in the Omni cheering for you. Oh, the Clippers yeah, they, uniform. They, they rushed the floor. I mean, I, that was. I mean, I didn't expect that. I mean, they rushed the floor. That was amazing. Nick, one thing about the trade. Before you went to LA, remind me because my memory's bad. Did you not report right away because you had to kind of like get a full grasp of it? Man, you know what? It probably took me. It probably took me a few days. You know, about four days. It probably took me four days to finally get myself moving to go to LA. Because I was just man, I was I mean, I was depressed. <laughs> you know, I like I'm going from the penthouse to the outhouse. <laughs> you know, so uh, that was tough for me. How was life in LA? How different was it? Well, I mean, LA was fun. Don't get me wrong. LA is LA. You know, that's Hollywood. I mean, I mean, you can't help but enjoy yourself. I just happened to, at that time be planning for a team that seemed like it was in Disneyland. I mean, it had a lot of crazy stuff going on with that franchise at that time. And across town's the Lakers, who just were, yeah, they were they were always figuring it out. Um, before mm-hmm. we, we finish up, so 
you did make a few stops along the way before your career ended, and then eventually right. you went over and played in Greece. Uh, before I ask you about that experience, right. how, how bothered were you that you never got to, A, experience a championship here? And right. do you feel like that left anything out of your NBA career that just would have put it over the top? Well, you know, probably. Probably. And I think one of the things, too, which it shouldn't have interfered with it, the 50 greatest. I mean, it's a joke that you have guys like myself and Bob McAnoo who didn't make 50 greatest. And I think because of stuff like that, that may have been some of the reasons why. That's you know, and um, but playing the Greece was a great experience. I mean, I loved it. I mean, it was a wonderful experience. Um, yeah, no, yeah, it's not an NBA title, but I was able to win over there and come back to the NBA. Twi- I came back to the NBA twice after going to uh, Italy and Greece. So it was just a great experience, you know, a life experience for me. Well, Nick, and I've said this before, and I don't want to put you in a bad position, but you were one of the few superstars, while you had good teammates, you never played with another superstar. Michael had Scotty, Malone had Stockton. This era's got guys teaming up in twos right. and threes. So I don't right. know that it was ever fair to judge your well, accomplishments you know, against theirs. And that's why I love Doc Rivers, man. Because you know, Doc Rivers has basically said that. He said, Nick had some good players. He never had a great player to play with. He was the show. He, he was a guy who had to get us at that next level. And when you have Bird and Doc and you have, you know, Jordan and all those great teams they played, he said, Nick never had that to play with. And I thought that was so big of him. And it shows you a type of character person he has to, to uh, or he is to say something like that because he didn't have to say that, but he did. Nick, what do you think of this era's players, the way it started both with you know, Garnett and then LeBron and then all everybody teaming up? Do you like this idea of the player mobility? Well, it's just a different time. It's their time. You know, we've had our time, so it's their time. I mean, personally, we would have never done that, and I'm sure all those guys will tell you that. We would have never have done that because we wanted to know who the best was, so we wanted to compete against one another. And probably if I was in today's world, I'd probably do the same thing, too. I'd probably uh, go to another team <laughs> if, if I was playing today. But you know what? It ain't, we've had our time. Well, let me, ask you, let me ask you about today's Hawks because it looks like you know, there's that buzz back again with Trey and Collins and this young core who maybe this will be the time they can recruit some big-time player over the next couple of years. How, how high is the ceiling? And that's what we're hoping, you know. We have a great core group of young guys, man, that I'm personally so excited about. And I thought, and I think Travis has done a wonderful job of putting the right mix of guys together. Trey, in my opinion, first of all, should have been working the year, but there's no hint or hit of there, you know. But he has been a wonderful addition this past year, really put together a marvelous rookie season. And John Collins is what he's done. And you look at Kevin Herter. I mean, these guys – are starting to build their own personalities and legacies in this city. And all you have to do is add to that, and that's what we're trying to do. Nick, we'll finish up by asking you, what was it like getting the call for the Hall of Fame? Could you even sum up how proud and how humbled you were about it? I didn't realize how big it was or how special it was until I was actually driving into Springfield and look up, and I saw home of the Basketball Hall of Fame. Uh, I literally, my stomach, I mean, had knots in it. And I didn't realize really, again, how special it was to, I took my son and I laid him on the floor on my jersey in the Hall of Fame. As I'm looking up, they're sliding my picture into the dome. And that's the only time I think I got emotional and had, basically had tears coming out of my eyes. So that was, to this day, it's still, it's still, I think about how special that is. 
So that was your proudest professional moment then, I would guess. What about personal? What has been Dominique Wilkins, as you look back personally, what's your proudest achievement? To see that statue going up in front of State Farm, that's the ultimate. You know, some often nights I go down there with a lawn chair and a beer, and I look up at the statue and I say, big fella, we come a long way. <laughs> I love it. That is tremendous. Well, Neek, we'll, we'll leave it right there. Thanks so much for spending some time with us. The stories are unbelievable, and I speak for anybody who grew up here like myself. If you didn't grow up being a Dominique Wilkins fan, there was something, uh, there was something off. So we appreciate all you did for the city. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. Thanks, everybody, so much for taking the time to listen to this week's edition of Welcome to Atlanta. Thanks to our producer, Matt Lear, for his assistance with the program. He's the glue that keeps the operation running. We'll talk to you next week on Welcome to Atlanta. The warm air, the sounds of baseball, it's got you thinking about hitting the road. And no matter where your adventures take you, Subaru of Gwinnett has a vehicle to get you there safely and in style. Like the 2024 Subaru Outback, sporting standard symmetrical all-wheel drive and up to 32 miles per gallon. Or the 2024 Subaru Forester, the SUV with a spacious and comfortable interior for everyone you want to bring along. Start your shopping online at SubaruofGwinnett.com, then come see us for a test drive on Satellite Boulevard in Duluth. Support for Extra 106.3 comes from Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy, celebrating their 35th anniversary and offering gift cards in-store and online. You can discover Mother's Day and anniversary presents online at Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy at naturalbody.com. In today's fast-paced world, your business deserves banking solutions that are as dynamic and cost-effective as you are. Solutions like free business checking from LGE Community Credit Union, free online and mobile banking, no minimum balance required, plus no maintenance fees and dividends on your balance. At LGE, we're a smarter way to bank. See what's possible for your business at lgeccu.org. No monthly maintenance fees. Other service fees such as NSF, overdraft, wire, and stop payment fees still apply. Not all businesses will qualify. Membership eligibility and base savings account that keeps $5 minimum balance required.